we have Noah and Steph preaching, talking to us this morning. So I'm just going to invite you to, but I'm going to pray for you as you start to talk. <laughs> oh gosh, I feel really small now. Okay. <laughs> Father, we thank you for Noah and Steph, Lord. We thank you for their servant heart. And Lord, we just pray that you will put the words on their heart for us to hear this morning, Lord. I pray your anointing over them, um, over their words, over their minds, over their hearts, Lord. Yeah. Lord, we thank you for them, Lord, and bless them. Amen. Morning, everybody. How are we all doing? So this morning, I'm going to be continuing going to be continuing our theme that we've been doing of picking either a character or a story in the Bible that um, has impacted you or sort of I've drawn to. So today, I'm going to be talking about Martha, uh, Mary, sister of Martha, and Lazarus, because I want to be like Mary. Something I want to be clear on straight away is I want to be like Mary. In writing what I have to share this morning, I've been challenged on each of the points that I'm making. I don't have all of this worked out. I'm not perfect. I don't want to give that impression. But I, was, I wanted to share this because I'm inspired by Mary, and I hope that what I'm going to bring will inspire you too. So the first way that I want to be like Mary is that she knows the value of listening to Jesus and allows herself to stop in the middle of the busyness and listen to what Jesus has to say. In Luke 10, verse 38 to 42, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or only indeed one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. When Jesus came to stay at Mary and Martha's house, Martha busied herself and was distracted, but where was Mary? She was sat at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. And when I read this, I had the image from the first Lord of the Rings, where at Bilbo's party, all of the kids are sat around listening to him tell his stories, and they're all sat there cross-legged, like looking like right up at him really intently, like really listening to what he had to say. And I was like, I bet that's what Martha was like, sat there on the floor cross-legged, like looking straight in his eyes, really, really intent on what he had to say. Because that's what I'd be like, I hope. I can imagine it would have been easy to get caught up in the busyness of that moment. The Messiah has come for tea. But when Mary decides to stop but Mary decides to stop and take time to hear what Jesus has to say. And when Martha complains, she's told that Mary made the better choice. Essentially, Jesus is saying that even when things are super busy, it's okay and it's right. It's the better choice to take time and listen to what he has to say. The next way that I want to be like Mary is I want to have the same faith as she did. When Martha, no, when Lazarus is ill, her and Martha send for Jesus because they know that if he comes, Lazarus will be all right. She knew that Jesus was a miracle worker. 
I want to have that same level of faith when stood face to face with death. Mary and Martha knew that Jesus could help. When I was growing up, my, um, so I grew up in Ascot, and the church I went to there was, was full of powerful prayer warriors. And uh, there were a number of occasions where either I myself was seriously ill or there was members of the church that were really ill. And as a church, we called on God to see him move. On some occasions, he moved and we saw the miracles or a series of miracles that we, that we were asking for. On other occasions, we saw God move, but we didn't see the miracle. We saw him move in other ways. I haven't got time to go into each of the stories, but I'd be more than happy to tell anyone who'll listen. We read that when Jesus does arrive intentionally late, Mary says to him, if you'd only been here. And in fact, Martha takes one step further and she says, but even now, just say the word and he'll live. I want that level of faith. That even now when things look bleakest and beyond reach, even now, God, you can still do it. And the story continues that they roll away the stone after Lazarus has been in there for four days with Mary and Martha saying, no, he'll smell. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he does. Lastly, I want to worship like Mary. I want to worship in the same carefree and costly manner as Mary does when she anoints Jesus' feet. John 12 verse 3 says that Mary took a pound of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and then wiped his feet with her hair. This is the sort of carefree worship I aspire to. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She's not doing it for attention. She doesn't care how costly it will be. She washed his feet with a year's worth of wages in perfume. And who is more worthy of that? Mary's act of washing Jesus' feet comes just before Jesus is put to death. God loves us completely and unconditionally, so much so that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us. God has no limits for his love for us. and I think that should be celebrated in the way that we worship. God doesn't hold anything back from us, so let's not hold anything back from him. During our marriage preparations, we did a pre-marriage course. And one of the things that really sat with me was the idea that love is not just an emotion that you feel, it's a daily decision that we make to love and honor our spouse, our families. Um, and there, there, op there are opportunities throughout, the, throughout each day to show them that you love them. So for those of you that don't know about the five love languages, it's a little test which helps to discern how to make a loved one feel most loved. For example, there's words of affirmation, there's gifts, there's physical touch, there's quality time, and there's acts of service. I know that Steph feels most love through acts of service, so I try my best to keep tidy, which doesn't come naturally to me. And to cook dinner most days, because I know it's an opportunity to show her that I love her. So I want to encourage you in looking for an opportunity to show your love and appreciation to the Lord every day, and taking the chance, no matter how costly, our time is valuable to us, especially on the days where the schedule is full, and there's so many things to do, you just got not got time to stop. But give Jesus some of that attention, like Mary did. Come and sit at his feet, and hear what he wants to tell you.
So I'm going to pass over to Steph now. Part two. Good morning. <laughs> so we, we actually went away and we didn't kind of plan something together. And we thought, wouldn't it be great if Noah went away and I went away to prepare something, came together, and it just linked perfectly? And at first we thought, mm, not sure, but actually I think it does fit together quite well. So why don't you just stand up if you're able for a moment before we go into part two. Um, and just sit back down again. <laughs> just so we're ready for the next section. So there is a lot of background noise, so see if you can engage with what I'm saying and hear what I'm saying. Um, so I've chosen the book of James, which is a really little book, quite close to the, the end of the Bible, and it's a letter that James wrote to Christians. Um, it's not completely known which James this was, but it's highly likely that it was Jesus' brother, James. Um, and it's, it's a letter that um, gives wisdom and direction and some warnings against certain ways of living um, and helps us to be obedient, to lead a life that reflects our faith and that honors God. Um, and one that, you know, shows our gratitude, our salvation. So, so when it was written, he, it was after Jesus had died, come back to life and crossed over from earth into heaven. And we knew about the, the Holy Spirit was sent. And it was written to Christians who were out there dispersed, making disciples and... Um, and spreading the gospel. Okay, so supposedly this time, they knew who Jesus was. They knew that Jesus had come and had died for them. They knew who the Father was because Jesus was the perfect representation of him on earth. They knew that they had the Holy Spirit. They knew that they were chosen and adopted as sons and daughters into God's family. Um, and as I said, it's a really small book. It's like less than five pages. And there's a lot of wisdom in this book. And as you're reading through, you kind of, every three or four sentences, you could probably take a sermon just from those little chunks. There's so many different pieces in here. Um, and so I mentioned that in here, he, he writes about some warnings against certain ways of being. And that gives me the impression that um, as the Christians were out there, they'd maybe lost uh, their initial kind of fervor for the gospel and they'd lost sight of who God was because of the need to be kind of warned against the way that they were living um, and perhaps kind of drifting away and lost sight of who, who God was. Okay, when I was about 17, I wrote a list that filled an A4 piece of paper and on that list, I wrote a load of questions, things I was frustrated about. It was about Christians or the church or God, and also things that I didn't like about myself. And that wasn't, you know, insecure, shallow things like I don't like my teeth, but things I was frustrated about, the way that I behaved about certain things or the way I responded in certain times. Um, and so I was like, okay, God, here's my list. 
I've got a weekend, should we go from the top? Like, how do you want to do it? You can fix this in me. We can look at this now, help me understand, and it'll be okay. And what was God's response to me then? Jesus came and took the list and he folded it up and he put it in a box and he put it up on a shelf out of my reach. This is what I saw in my mind's eye, what Jesus was doing. And God wanted me to remember that he really loved me as I was. All those things I'd listed, he loved me as I was. And all those questions, he is a patient father, patient God, through my lifetime, when the time was right, and when I was ready, he would bring lessons to me and teach me those things and show me those things rather than just kind of bash in that moment. Um, so where it was my priority to be fixed and healed, God needed to remind me that, that Jesus had healed me <laughs> and I'd lost sight of who I was in my new self that my old ways had actually died when Jesus had. I also thought that it was my responsibility to listen to the Holy Spirit ready for when God was going to point a finger at the sin and things to say, okay, now let's, let's sort this thing out. Um, and, or any kind of ways of thinking that I'd brought on from the world, or any worry, doubt, anything that we know to be sin, which is anything about our thinking or way of living that is not in line with God's heart and is not in line with his design and is not in line with the Father. Those things we know are sin. And as I've mentioned, the truth is we are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ. So when God sees us, he sees the purity of Jesus. And there's, um, so we are in this world, we're alive, we woke up this morning, we're here, and we are living in this world, but we are not of this world. So easily it, we can take on ways of thinking and habits that are of this world and not of the heavenly kingdom that we know through Jesus. And um, it's also incredibly easy if we're not careful to lose sight of who God is and to lose sight of who we are in his eye and how we look to him. Um, and there's part of James's letter that he talks about warning against worldliness, a term he says worldliness, and James lists some extreme examples and some not extreme examples and the consequences of what, what things could look like when we lose sight of who God is and what he is like to us and what he's capable of. And so I'm just going to read a bit from chapter 4 and verse 6. Firstly, he quotes a verse from Proverbs. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he goes on to say, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. And it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God gave us free will and we get to choose how to live. And as Christians, it's our responsibility 
to live in a way that honors him and we get to choose how we do that. So Noah mentioned briefly about love languages and kind of choosing, sometimes he mentioned love isn't a feeling, but it's an action that daily we need to choose how to love one another and how to live. And I think that's the same for us in our faith. We don't always, I mean, maybe some do, but don't always have a kind of strong passion and sense of desire to honor God, but we still have a responsibility to choose to do that in the way that we live. Sim spoke a couple of weeks ago and he mentioned the importance of encountering Jesus and the need for consistent encounters with God. And so where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, it's my choice to draw near to him. And as God draws near to me and we're getting closer and closer, and more in sync, and I'm getting to know what he is like, what his character really is, what he is able of, able to do, and we get closer and closer, I can't help but notice, as we're getting closer, I can't help but notice things about my thinking or my living that are actually not in line with what God is like and how he sees things. So at no point was it that God pointed his finger and said, this is sin in your life, we need to fix this, because he's looking at me and he sees the purity of Jesus. But as we are getting closer and closer, I can't help but notice these things. And, um, and, and I want to touch briefly on, on that moment of, of noticing something that is out of line with God's design and God's heart. The next bit says, so I'm going to touch on this. Um, so, so just to say, it might be something, you know, when I say the word sin, kind of obvious things come to mind. But often it's something that we haven't even noticed that during our life it's something of the world that brings us a superficial sense of comfort or security or confidence um, that actually it's not gonna be sustainable for us, but we can get that directly from God and he will give that thing to us. So James goes on to say this. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And it goes on to say, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And I'd be so interested to know how you all interpret that in, in this. But I think how I think how I interpret it is that two, two things happen in the moment, as I've mentioned, of noticing something in my way of thinking or my way of being that is out of line with God's design or his heart. And it's forgetting what he is like and who I am in him. If I am away from the presence of God and I haven't had encounters with him and I haven't been drawing myself nearer to him and I notice sin, I'm met with shame, condemnation, guilt. And I need to, in that moment, get straight back to God and remember who he is, remember who I am in him and remember his heart and choose repentance and choose to live differently. And it's not going to happen like that, but it's again and again to change habits 
We need Jesus to be able to do that. The other side is if I'm, I've been drawing close to God and I know him and it's because of that closeness I was talking about that I have, and knowing God's love for me, that I've then noticed something that is slightly out of line with, with his heart for me. Um, what am I met with when I recognize that? Someone tell me what God is like. What am I met with if I'm away from God and I notice sin? I feel shame and guilt and condemnation. But if I know God and because of his love for me and our walking together, what am I met with? Acceptance, love, self-control and grace and compassion and kindness. And that's not not even where it ends. It goes on to say, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. So humbling ourselves before God. Um, Oh, sorry, I missed a bit. Um, If I just go back to my previous point, where I was talking about in, in the letter where it says, lament and weep and mourn and what that might mean. I missed that bit. In, in the time when I, I'm close with God, I've been drawing near to him. And it's in that moment that I, I recognize something that's, that's not in line with him. I become almost painfully aware of the length of time that it's taken, um, the length of time that that area of, of my life or behavior has almost been separate from God. And I haven't known his goodness in my life in that area. And that has kind of made me keep keep on in that habit or way of thinking and also um, aware of the pain (laughs) that living in that way has probably has caused me because we know that sin causes destruction and it causes death and how how it may have affected those around me as well without even knowing I didn't know it was there until I am walking with the Lord and knowing his heart and his design Um, So going back to where it says, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. So we love to exalt God. We've just had a great time of worship. And we exalt means to to think or speak highly of someone or something. And it also means to raise to a higher rank or position. And it says here that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, God will exalt us. We always think of how, you know, we love to exalt God, but God loves to exalt us as well. Because that's what he's like. And we are a people after his heart, and he is a God that's after our hearts. And he's very patient about it. So remember the, the list that I said I'd written and he put it up on a box. He will happily take the length of my life to refine me and teach me things about him and what God is like. So I'm going to finish by reading the last piece of the letter, close to the end of the letter. Um, If you're reading along, it's chapter 5, 13. And it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 